Hey guys, and welcome to Crohn's Cast Live. Tonight we are sat down with the one and only, the Austin guy, um, Austin Powers. Uh, he has been really working hard in the podcast space. He's written a book, um, The Memoirs of a Bag Man, and has recently been interviewing a number of people that I know, which is hence how we've actually come to meet each other through the myriad that is social media. So I'm really excited to bring Austin onto the show and have a really interesting chat, delve into all the things that led to writing books and just the messages and stuff he wants to get out there into the world. Hi, Austin. Do you just want to say hello hey. to people that are watching? Hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching wherever you're tuning in. I really appreciate it. It's uh, this is this topic and what we're going to be talking about today is one. It's one that's very important to me, obviously, but it's so important because we we feel trapped in our own heads a lot of times and dealing with IBD, dealing with having an ostomy, uh, Crohn's, colitis, whatever it is. Um, it's really, it's one of those worlds that we feel really trapped in and sharing our stories is one of the key ways of being able to free ourselves to feel like we're kind of stomping through this life together with somebody and we don't feel so lonely. So I appreciate you having me on and giving me the opportunity to talk. Man, it's an absolute pleasure. And it's just, it's such a small world. It feels like at the minute, because obviously, uh, with your good self, um, I found out about you basically, first of all, from uh, seeing your podcast come up with Jack. And I think I messaged you straight away as soon as I seen his post come onto Instagram. And I was so excited. I'd not really seen that many other people, uh, particularly guys, doing um, this kind of thing where we're talking about what's arguably a very sensitive topic, not very maybe macho topic. And I think that we just need more people like you out there helping the society realize that you know men have this too and sometimes you struggle with it but ultimately yeah. you know we can lead a really productive life I mean, what's your thoughts on that no you're exactly right i i think that dealing and living with this personal illness very personal problems chronic illnesses and things it it in regards to how we live with it physically it varies but mentally we especially with bowel problems we can tend to just disappear into our own heads and get caught up in the suffering and forget to live life and and that's for me that was the part that we kind of naturally do it as kids but when you get older and life kind of weighs you down you got to intentionally kind of look at look at the struggles and the sufferings of life differently. You got to change your perspective. And and I've never really been a fan of just the, there's such a taboo about it, right? There, we don't, it's, it's gross to all of us what our problems are. And we had, and there's how much do you share? How much do you not share? But on one hand, we really just want to feel like we're, we're not alone in it. And we don't have to, it's not like we get together, right? It's not like you and I want to sit around and talk about our bowel problems, what we've been eating and how, how our stools have been and that kind of stuff. We don't, unless we're kind of striving and looking for solutions and or 
need to need to find a cure for something because we've been struggling for so long. We just get together to realize, holy cow, you know, you're living your life in the military and I'm over here in the States doing my thing, raising my family. And we're both just in the world stomping through it. And that, that camaraderie, it brings so much, uh, God, what's the word? It, 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 to me, like having a family, having brothers, it gives, it empowers me and helps me um, I kind of feed off of you and your energy and anyone else on a day-to-day basis that I talk to dealing with this. And we need that because I'm down some days and need to be lifted up. And when other people are down, they need to hear us on our good days and even struggling through our bad days and talking about it. Yeah, it's so true. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 I think it's really important just to be out there in the space delivering on that message. Um, yeah. You know, we've done, we've done a lot of stuff lately as a community in the UK um, sort of led from the front bit by a guy who goes by the alias of IBD Life, Aunt Andrews, um, where there's been instances within our healthcare system where people have been really struggling with the diagnosis and the potential of living with an ostomy for life and things like that. And to the point where quite recently, I think it was towards the middle of lockdown, um, someone was allowed by the courts to not have life-saving ostomy surgery and allowed to just essentially take their own life, which, you know, everyone has their own reasons. We just didn't feel that the support networks were there for that person to enable them to make a, a more informed choice. Um, so it's just kind of spurred us on as a community to be ever more present and try and just spread ourselves out a little bit more and raise that a little bit more awareness particularly when it comes to things like life-changing surgery as a stoma, like just helping people realize that they're not alone out there and that, you know, there are thousands upon thousands of people who have gone through this process and are leading their lives to the fullest and able to do so much more than maybe they were actually before they had an ostomy, you know, hold down a relationship or just engage in society as a functional member of it. It's, you know, just little things like that and just, so people don't get trapped in this thought of it's a huge surgical thing that I'm never going to be able to face up to. Your story yourself is actually really interesting. So you were diagnosed exceptionally young. I think it was 10 years old you were diagnosed. Is right. that correct? Yeah. Like what was, can you remember back to then um, what oh, yeah. it was like? So initially, the the problems that I had initially was fistulas, and they were – anal rectal fistulas which is embarrassing in and of itself let alone being a little kid and playing with your friends and i'm super active i have uh, a very active family i had an active childhood i played tons of sports and when i started having openings on my rectum that were draining and i'm just a kid trying to hang out with my buddies and this is something i'm starting to deal with and as soon as I started dealing with that and having surgeries, um, I mean, I remember sitting in my buddy's house up in his attic, sitting on a couch playing Sega Genesis. We were playing uh, X-Men and we were sitting there and House of Pain was on, jump around and we're sitting there playing Nintendo. And I felt like I just wet my pants, but through my crack. And I was like, what in the world did I sit in? Is that 
Did I sit in something? Do they have an animal? What in the world? I got up, went to the bathroom, realized it was blood and mucus coming from a fistula. And dude, I was as freaked out and grossed out as it sounds. It's, I was a kid and I tried to get, I snuck out of there, ran home. I was, and, and went and told my mom, we ended up going over to our doctor's house back when you could still do that and had him check it out. And I was lined up for surgery to have that thing removed. And that was the beginning of 30 plus surgeries since I was a little kid in dealing with abscesses, fistulas, and all kinds of stuff back there near my tailbone and rectum. And it was, it was brutal. Um, but the fistulas was the part that was hard for me. I could care less about getting a stomach ache. You know, I mean, you kind of just, you deal for me, I can deal with stomach aches. I can deal with having bad cramps. I could just go recluse to a room and hide there until it's gone. I don't care if it lasts days. I'm good at suffering alone. What I'm not good at is I'm not good at when that life has to bother other people and it gets outside of my body. And when it comes to having rectal problems and dealing with cleaning that up and needing help with that, along with having stomach issues, man, it, it just, it was brutal as a kid. You kind of get over it. But at the end of the day, I'm not sharing it with anybody. You don't tell anybody about it. I didn't share any of this with my friends. None of them knew. And you just kind of try and been, figure it out. I ridiculously scared at that time to be, to, to be 10 years old and going through all of those uh, symptoms that you described, you know, um, yeah. like what was it like? Were you able to, what was socially like being a kid? Like were you able to go out? Did you feel you had a normal social life as a child and as a teenager? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'd say I did, but that's what caused a lot of the mental problems. The emotional problems was that nobody really knew that side of me. It dominated. I would go and I'd push and give all my energy and play like any normal kid, go and run gun with them try and chase girls with the best of them. And I, I would give until I was done. And then I, my system would shut down and I would leave and I'd go home and I'd just disappear. And I'd never tell anybody about it. And I always just dealt with it myself. I'd disappear to a bathroom. They always just thought I had stomach problems, which they were fine with just saying that. And we'd get on down the road, but the world doesn't slow down for your stomach problems. I mean, I've been left plenty of places by my friends because I was in a bathroom. I mean, it, it happens. It doesn't matter if it's a movie theater or a skating rink. I remember several times where just me having to do me caused that to happen. And then you'd come up with different lies because you don't want to tell them you've had a fistula bust open and got on your underwear and you actually had to sneak out and go home. And thank God they did leave you because I wasn't going to come out if they were out there. And you just you battle through this emotionally when you aren't when you feel like you're the only one dealing with this. It's brutal. And the most liberating thing was realizing, holy cow, there's some other person out there dealing with the same crap. So how, how was school in general for you? Was it, do you feel it was a success? Do you feel you lost your school or do you feel like it was managed reasonably well for you? Yeah, I felt pretty, school was good. I, I was able to go to school. I went, I was, went to Catholic school my whole life. Um, and so it was private education they were very accommodating in regards to me being sick, getting me homework, be, being able to study and having extra time to do certain things. Um, so I, the accommodations were there for me. And yes, I felt very educated. I felt I had more problems focusing in school because of my ADHD than I did 
for my Crohn's disease. But then I didn't realize they were intertwined, right? Because when you're always <laughs> suffering and you're dealing with when you're dealing with stomach issue and you got cramps going on, you're in the middle of class. It's like you, you're sitting there talking to somebody and all of a sudden you can't focus because your stomach's bothering you. Well, that's no different than a plane flying by and you just checking out of the conversation because all you can think about is, was that a 737 or what was that that just flew by? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so when was it that you actually ended up getting an ostomy? It wasn't until I was 22 years old. So I was diagnosed with Crohn's when I was 10 and... I was in and out of deal in and out of the hospital dealing with that. It slowly got a little worse. The more stressful life got, the more uh, problems and side effects and symptoms I had with Crohn's. As I got into college through high school, I just kept having regular check-ins at the hospital from dehydration and dealing with all kinds of cramping and dealing with all kinds of, you know, blood in my stools and unbelievable amounts of uncontrollable pain and. So then it just got to the point where the fistulas and things, um, I started having major abscesses that one of them caused a, uh, it blew a giant hole in my colon, believe it or not. And so there was a hole in my colon that then exited through to a wound on the outside of my skin on my butt that was, it was like three inches in diameter. And it was just draining all the time. When I'd go to the bathroom, that's what I was dealing with. And so I had, they had to shut that off, give me an ostomy bag. And the only, I mean, I tried for a year to go to the hospital, to the doctor's office. I had nine surgeries that year to try and close this thing. I would go to the doctor's office every week to have them tighten the seton ring and do a couple of other treatments that they were doing to try and close it. Just a number of things to try and heal that scar tissue back there. And it wouldn't work and it wouldn't work. And then the last resort was the last thing I wanted to do. But when you're desperate, man, you'll, you'll do anything. And I didn't want to do it. I, I'm as vain as can be. This whole ostomy thing has humbled me to the nth degree, though I'm still incredibly proud. Um, but I did not want it. I didn't want to even think about it. It was always a temporary thing for me. It was never permanent. And that's as far as I thought about it. Fine, I'll do it. I'll deal with it. But I'm getting out of this as soon as possible. And I'm not telling anybody. And I, do you know what? I think there are so many people that are in that sort of boat, um, particularly uh, on the male side of the equation, I believe. Uh, speaking from my own experience, like whenever it came to a realistic discussion, for me to end up having an ostomy, it was something that I, I immediately rejected and did not want to entertain that. And then things uh, obviously went a certain direction and that became the only option. Um, yeah. And it, do you know what? It, 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 isn't, it was never as bad as you imagine, I don't feel. Um, like life post that was such a success in comparison to how I was um, prior to getting an ostomy. Like I've now gone through and ended up with a J pouch, but for three years or so like living with an ostomy life was great it was only that um my military career um required me to go down the j pouch route that in the end i ended up having electing to have the um the takedown and and people uh, have the j pouch put in um but yeah it's such a such a huge topic i think 
uh, for guys, particularly whenever that that first comes in. I'm not sure what it is about it. Like, do do you think you know a bit more about like your mental state and why there are so many barriers there to accepting that fate? So, I I can only speak from my own experience, but I'll tell you this. What I feared most was my reality. And that's what, and this is what I mean by that. So I feared having something on my stomach where when I crapped, it was noisy. It was kind of obvious and gross. And it basically took my bathroom situation into the public world and now I was having to cover it up and conceal it. And I, I, I thought it would be, I feared it being stinky. And I only dealt with that just a little bit. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about that. But all those things actually were my reality. And what I mean, and the reason that I say that is that having, I don't know if all colostomies are like this. I just am pretty sure that most of them are. But it's lower in your system. So your bowels are coming out normally and in, in a lot of ways. And so you're gassy and the gas was loud and I, I hated it until, until I learned to um, fast throughout the day and space out my eating so that I could control when I was going to the bathroom. I mean, it was like all the time. I felt like I was had gas all the time. When I go to the bathroom, it was loud, like you could hear it, it would draw attention. And that to me was what I was afraid of. And the world is not okay. I don't care whose baby it is. I don't wanna change your baby's dirty diaper. And I don't even hardly like changing my own child's dirty diaper. It grosses me out and I've got an ostomy. And so most people are grossed out by other people's shit, let alone their own, you know, and so, it, you have to really look at and be empathetic to the reality that this is how people feel and that is okay, but that is the norm. And it took me a long time to realize and accept that and then create a world that was livable with me in that. Now, everybody doesn't judge me. Everybody doesn't care. Once they hear what I'm dealing with, they always accept it, right? Once we tell our story and they're like, oh, they feel terrible. They, they, they feel pity and they constantly are sitting there going, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I even said anything. But most people are grossed out by this stuff. And I can't expect everyone to just, it's kind of like if I have, a I, have, I have a child with Tourette's and he's yelling curse words. And, and that can, that's going to be immediately offensive to somebody. Just like if somebody has to deal with the smell of your crap or something really gross, it's gonna turn them off instantly to where, like even if you're in a plane, you can get annoyed by a child who is just really sick or is dealing with certain ticks at a certain, that you can get very judgmental really quick. And I felt like I projected my own um, shallowness on everyone around me. And I feel like we live in a really shallow world. And so I projected that on me. We live in a Facebook world, if you would, agree with that. We live in a very surfacey, superficial kind of a place where people don't really get to know us and what makes us tick and why we are the way we are. And I'll tell you what, man, one, once I started being able to realize 
how much that was affecting me. It was, it was so liberating being able to just accept the fact that, you know what, this, it, people say it all the time, this saved my life. But I wasn't experiencing, I couldn't believe that when it was happening. You know, when you say it saved my life, the life that I have gotten because this gave me more time here is what I mean by it saved my life. It gave me my wife. It gave me my four children. Me being and having time here has allowed me to have an impact. And having a family, start writing my book, doing the podcast, all those things, sharing that story, my story allows each of us to kind of team up with each other and soldier through it, even though it's really hard. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's true as well. I think you're right. You know, we do live in a bit of a superficial world where we, you know, we only go to the shallowest depth before we maybe decide to cast an opinion on something that is happening in front of us. You know, it's, it's quite a common mistake to make that we make a, a black and white decision or a singulary factor decision on what is actually a multifactorial situation. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it can be difficult. And you're right, you know, like when you judge your, yourself on how you think other people judge you, you know, we are we're guilty of the same crimes when it comes to wanting to change another person's diaper and stuff like that. It's def yeah. definitely true. Um, for you then, how has life changed since having us? What was the what was the moment that life started becoming more positive for you? Because obviously the initial transition was very traumatic, and you know there's lots of uh, psychological baggage, if you will, um, attached to having the surgery. What at what point did things start to turn around for you? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back for a second to your story about that young man that the judge ruled to have allow him to be have his life taken rather than having ostomy surgery. So I I wasn't there. I was okay with having the ostomy surgery, but I I know how that guy feels. And everything changed for me when I realized that I was wrong. I was wrong in thinking that my life was going to be a certain way and that this surgery was going to change it for the negative and there was no light at the end of the tunnel. When I realized that a woman could fall in love with me uh, despite having this and dating would be fine and I will be able to have kids and I will be able to have a career and I do have a good future in front of me, not until I, re it took a couple of spiritual moments, Johnny, but it also took some real fellowship moments with my brothers and with some friends um, that I had acquired over time that really built me up and helped me realize that I was that I was stronger than I thought I was. I was so fixated on my stoma and having a bag and having baggage in regard because all I cared about, I mean, I was 22 years old. All I cared about was meeting my wife, meeting my future wife. And I couldn't think of anything else except that. And I mean, it. It changed me for, for the better in that I started being able to see and empathize with people struggling with things that were real. I began to realize how shallow I was, and it helped me be able to be more loving to the people around me. When you're really sick, especially when you're dealing with ostomy problems and you're sick, and people are helping you with your crap, they're loving you in a way you oftentimes can't love them back. And when you're on the receiving end of that, brother, 
it is it is so humbling but beautiful to see that our humanity is capable of that that it is so hard to just receive that and not give it away and i have over and over seen the nurses and my family members and my bride and my children who give me this unconditional love that i can't do anything but reciprocate it and also give it away and i would i was not like that i i am i tended way more toward the selfish side of things and having an ostomy it made me kinder it helped me be able to see that you know what even though there are struggles and there are things that i don't like about this life accepting this is something i can choose and accepting my suffering is something i can choose i can't choose what the what comes next but i can i can choose how i accept it and the way that i live my life afterward from now going forward and once i realized i had that power and i had people in my life lifting me up I mean, it was a game changer in regards to how I looked at the world, being able to leave the house, being able to go work out, being able to do things, travel and do things that I didn't think that I could. And I was just afraid to do them. And I love being able to grow and see myself overcome these little things. Like I was very athletic, but now I feel like in the spiritual weight room of life, we get to kind of see where our weaknesses are as a dad, as a husband, you know, as a friend, and having an ostomy and doing dealing with this stuff from a young age has helped me be able to see the world from a different lens and be able to love a little more, understand people's suffering, which is a big deal because all we want is someone to listen. And I'm trying to get better at it, you know, how we are with our wives and our families and those we're closest with. We, we can tend to be more distant sometimes when we need to but I feel like I care now, whereas I didn't. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, that makes complete sense. That really does make sense. Um, you touched on it a little bit, I think, uh, whilst you were talking there, and you, you mentioned a couple of times about like a spiritual awakening, um, and or a couple of them, as for a matter of fact, and a sort of the sort of brotherhood that you find. Like, what what sort of stuff have you learned about yourself? on this journey to date? So I'll start first by saying that the day that I got my ostomy surgery and I woke up and I realized I had this thing on my stomach and I got to see it, I had an incredibly poor self-image. Um, I was a, a very vain and proud person um, even though I was sick and yay, I was always a nice kid. Um, I was, I was blessed with being six, five, being handsome, being athletic, being smart, having everything going for me. And I took it all for granted. And I realized how much I took all of that for granted and used it more for myself. And having the ostomy showed me that version of myself and I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. And I almost, I had to almost take on what I perceive as a real ugliness with um, what a stoma is and crapping in a bag on your waist and that, that ugliness that society sees that I could project out into the world, see that on me and learn to love myself anyway. 
and see other people in my life that loved me anyway, even though I was dealing with that. When you get to see other people love you in a way you don't think you could love them back, man, I mean, that's a humbling moment. And to be able to see that and have the opportunity to change before we check out was huge. And I ended up, you know, I, I said I had a couple of real powerful spiritual moments. I just had a few moments in regards to like my Catholic faith where I just, when you're beat down and you're sick and you're looking for your purpose in life and you're trying to understand why I'm here and God obviously didn't make a He made a material world, but that's not the purpose of it because there are happy people who are poor. There are happy people who are wealthy. And then you have healthy people. You have sick people. I know sick people who are happy and I know, I know healthy people who are miserable. And so God made an interesting world that I felt like I was a part of. We were all created in it, but I wasn't doing my part. I felt like I had been taking it all for granted. And, you know, when you're dealing with lonely nights and you're sitting there in your own head and there, and I had tons of people praying for me, when you're dealing with this and you're struggling through some sort of suffering, it is unbelievable how powerful grace is um, and how it breaks into our negativity in our world if you just say yes. And through my friends and through family members and friends that were priests that would come by just to say hi and talk to me at eight o'clock at night, they just swing by and knock on my door because they knew I was there and wanted to lift me up and hang on and hear my stories um, and talk to me and hear what I went through. I was loved in a way I couldn't reciprocate. And that helped me grow unbelievably to where now I see as a dad how I'm able to do that for my kids, my three daughters and my son, in ways that I wouldn't have had I not gone through all of this prior. And if I hadn't have dealt and learned to receive love in that way, life is really hard when you're refusing people's charity and love because we all have a need to give we all have a need to love each other but I was just in a place where I didn't want any of it and I know it was the prayers of other people that broke into my world that allowed me to open up and hear through hear God telling me how much I was loved through all those in my life but even when you're surrounded by these people that's got to be something you accept and so I I chalk all that up to grace and the answering of prayers Johnny I really do and I think, you know, spirituality in, in those circumstances is such a powerful thing. Like one of the common uh, things our padre would say to us is you don't get many atheists in foxholes. And, That's you know, right. it's, it's, it's really true that, you know, when you're in adverse situations, one of the first things people turn to is is faith, be of what a, whatever dominion it may be. Um, and, you know, having that sort of consciousness that, there is a community there for you and that there are people that have your best interest at heart is such a warming experience. Um, and yeah, there, there, I guess there is that inner turmoil when you do not feel you're able to reciprocate that or you feel that it's almost a charity, I guess, in some, in some ways maybe. Um, yeah. But with all, with all of that said, what would your advice be to like say somebody who's newly diagnosed or is on the hospital bed and being told it's it's time for an ostomy or or for another word what would you sort of say to your 10 year old self if you will man i would tell 
my 10 year old self and somebody out there who's in the point of where they're having to deal with possibly getting an ostomy, a J pouch, whatever it is, some major medical decision, I would seriously be open to anything. Okay. And I don't mean open to any treatment. I mean, be okay with whatever the options are and you need to discern it and choose it with people who you care, who care for you and make these decisions with your loved ones. And the reason that's important is because I, I suffered a lot as you probably have. And what I hear from people on my podcast, we suffer a long, long time because we don't, we don't want to get the ostomy and we're afraid of the life it's going to have and the consequences of that life. And we'll put that off. We'll, we'll do anything. We'll take any drug. We'll put up with any kind of stuff. We'll get on any diet just to be able to avoid getting the ostomy. And I would tell you, I mean, people with colitis, especially to just be open, be open to it. I'm not sitting there saying, you know, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to solve your problems because I hate this whole journey of mine has been people trying to think that they had the solution to my problem, whether it's some juice or some drug or some diet, uh, maybe an ostomy. I don't know, but you have to be open to the possibility of, you know, what if it isn't that bad? What if that is what will help me? What if that is going to be the reason I'm going to go on to college and still row or still play volleyball? And that's going to be the ticket for me rather than suffering so much. I struggled for so long keeping all of that away and suppressing it that I just wanted to have my life be as normal as, as possible. And the ostomy world, there's been so many technological advancements. There's so many different kinds. It's sure it has its struggles and its problems. Um, you're, it's not like it's going to make everything go away in every single case. But at the end of the day, there are such things as temporary ones. And if it is part of the journey you're on to see if it could be something that could solve and help you transition to a better life, I'd just be open to doing it. And don't be so closed-minded. I was so cl closed-minded for so long, Johnny, that I would try things only after I was so sick I couldn't stand it anymore, right? But then I was stubborn when it would go away for a couple months. You ever been there? <laughs> yeah, loads of loads of times, unfortunately. And it, yeah, it's it's a really it's a weird sort of thing, isn't it? It's like we we close doors even before they're open in some instances. I think with with all of these situations, and and if we're I think if we sit down and honestly think about it, they're for really shallow vein reasons as well that we close it down. Right. Particularly when it comes to sort of the medical surgical approach, it's there's there's yeah I think if people yeah like you said are just be, let themselves be open and allow themselves to hear everything about it impartial and just listen to to the opportunity that presents itself. I mean oh, that that actually in itself could be something to live just general life by just be open and listen to things with an impartiality will allow you to experience so much more um very difficult to do i'm not saying that that, that yeah. process of living is in any way easy because we have our own biases and if yeah. you're if you're human you have a bias there's no getting away from it because everyone's life is different everyone's experiences right. are different 
and they shape who you are and therefore create a bias. But yeah, I think locking ourselves in, I've seen it so much on the actual um, surgical ward and medical wards within the hospital that I get treated in. Mostly, um, well, the, a large part of the society that is going through this process are generally in a geriatric population. So they are, yeah. argue, well, medical science says 35 plus, but I'll, I'll argue the toss that I'm not a geriatric yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? You're talking 55, 65 plus year olds um, are really closed off. And that's because, you know, they've lived a life and this is yeah. something exceptionally hard. But I think, you know, if you're under 30 and this is going to get like both of us would advocate that in the end, having an ostomy surgery gave us a life back that we were very rapidly losing. And the disadvantages of having an ostomy were far outweighed by the advantages of, of going through with that surgery. But like you said, um, Austin, I'm not advocating that surgery is the only option. It's just that, you know, it's one of those things where if you're open and listen with impartiality and just take it for what it is, I think you could yeah. go a long way. Yeah. I'm not sure if I've uh, I waffled on there and missed the point completely. Um, no. But I think, I think it's... So it's, can, I, I think can it's, I follow that up with something really quick? Yeah, yeah. So you remind me of something that I, I think of and I say all the time and it, and it applies here directly. So everybody's winging it, right? Even our doctors, when we're dealing with an incurable illness, a chronic disease, there is no cure for. Everybody's winging it, like raising kids. Even when they have really good advice, even when, even when your doctors, though when you go to specialists and you go to like the Cleveland Clinic and those places and they have entire wards dedicated to this, you have the combination of minds. But for most of us in, in the country, in the world, where we're going to our doctor, our physicians aren't as, you are, you are the expert on IBD or Crohn's disease as the patient. And we forget that, right? Every one of our doctors is now, is we're probably one of three or four or fewer that our physicians have that have Crohn's or have fistulizing Crohn's or have fistulizing Crohn's and ulcerative colitis with an ostomy. Maybe you're the only one. And maybe of your GI doctor, your gastroenterologist, maybe you are one of, I don't know how many, but my point is still on, from their perspective, from their practice, the way that they're applying the drugs that they've been exposed to from the people, from the manufacturers, the reps that have come to see them, where they studied, where they got their education from, sent them down a channel of, of medicine that is now leading to the way you're being treated. And we all, when you're dealing with incurable illnesses, everybody is, is winging it based on their perspective. So always be open to more information from somewhere else, from someone else. It doesn't mean your doctor's wrong. It just means when you get exhausted mentally from going to your doctor and constantly being in this rut of ha still being sick, still having Crohn's, trying this drug, trying that drug, I've tried everything, and the doctors are just throwing things at us, just remember, you're the expert. They are students trying to cure this illness you have as a patient. I think, you know, there's there's a huge element of truth in that 
because when you think about a general practitioner they're they are that they're a general practitioner like if you look at the the study of medicine and how many diseases actually exist and expect one person to be an expert across every single disease that exists to be able to diagnose and implement an effective treatment plan specific to your needs and requirements as an individual yeah. When, when you start putting it into a scenario or a factor or a discussion under those terms, I think people start to realize, yeah, actually, you know, and, and I think that the science supports currently that IBD in particular is such an individualistic disease that it is, it's not really, it's aside from major symptoms, it's not comparable person to person because we don't know if it's hereditary. We don't know if it's stress related. We don't know if it's diet related. We don't know. We just don't know. There's too many unknowns, right. too many variables um, yeah. amongst the, pop the, the affected population for there to be a consensus as to where or how or what. Um, and yeah, it's like one of the interesting things as well, actually uh, slightly off topic. So um, is like when we when we look at psychology, and you know the the consensus for defining what is normal, what is seeing, and what is insane, is arguably un un unpractical because all of the studies that are conducted are majority samples of students of psychology. Like most of the psychological studies that are passed into law to define when someone is defined as insane or not, or has some form of psychological disorder or not, the majority of the studies in that field of work are experimented on psychology students who are arguably seeing. So that the the, the sample uh, population is a weird population because it does it's not a sample of normal society like. They don't go down to the Bronx and go, we're going to do a psychological study on the Bronx. But they'll argue the toss in court based on a paper created in Harvard that that person is based on that paper, not of sound mind. You're like going, how, how, how does that counter? Because that person's experiences through life have shaped that equation compared to someone who's a Harvard psychology student. You know, it's just It's just a weird sort of, and again, I kind of getting off topic a little bit, yeah. but it just whenever whenever you think about the world in those ways, well, it kind of just makes it feel like Fifty Shades of Grey, really. But um, what uh, for the purpose of the podcast? What is what's the stuff that actually gets you through difficult days? So, be it IBD related or just in general life related, you mentioned a number of things about sort of faith, spirituality, family, and things. But what is it? What's your inspiration to get you through? So, I mean, when I wake up every day, I this, this is how my day goes. This is, I'm I'm pretty systematic. So I get up between five and five thirty every day, uh, and have some quiet time for myself. My daughters come in usually one by one between six and six thirty, and they line up and sit on the bed and wait for each other to get there. And then we pray a rosary together for our family members in Thanksgiving for a new day. Um, and just for their life. And then I get showered up and changed and I go to daily mass over at our local parish here. And so that's about 25, 30 minutes long. My dad, um, he goes to mass there also. We'll usually get breakfast in the morning after mass is over and then I'll go to work. 
And I'm here to tell you, having some meditation time in the morning, praying with my girls, going to Mass and receiving the Word of God, receiving the Eucharist and being able to go about my day. Like my dad always told me when I was a kid, he was a daily mass goer. And he always said he had his most important meeting every day with his number one client. And that was at mass. And so in a lot of ways, that's how I start my day. And it, that keeps my mind right um, throughout. And then I, I'm a financial advisor. So I go to, I go to work. I meet with people all day long. I'm in meetings and doing advisory work. And then I come home. But when I'm having a bad day, even good or bad days, dude, music and movies, I feed off of other people. And so music, movies, and my friends are how I deal with it. When I'm having a really crappy day, ask my wife. I will probably call a friend to come over and have a drink. And I'll just talk to him about it because I know how poisonous my head can be. And if I'm not if I'm not talking with someone about this, usually what ends up happening is that someone else gets something out of what we're talking about. And I end up getting something from them and whatever they're dealing with from sharing each other's lives with, with one another that evening. But music and movies is another just incredibly powerful thing. I have tons of playlists. I like anything from slow country music to rock and roll, Frank Sinatra, hip hop. I love Eminem. I love eighties rock. Um, I love Christian music. I love musicals. My daughters love, uh, golly, what's it called? The Greatest Showman, which is awesome. Have you seen that movie? If you haven't, you got to see it. I mean, that that's a favorite in our household as well. Yeah. Um, definitely a favorite. We've we've got um, Disney Plus as well. So like, Disney gets absolute. It's it's wall to wall Disney some days, and <laughs> and they've got some amazing movies out there now. It's one of those weird um, things where we got it, and I was, you know, I was just thinking kids' movies, like Frozen and the like, yeah. and there are so many things on there. I'm like, I didn't know Disney did this, right? And it's, do you know what I mean? There's just countless yeah. movies, like, and some absolute classics, like they've, they they've own everything, man. Yeah, it's it's scary a little bit actually. Yeah, uh, when you when you look at some of the stuff, they, the high far reaching Disney actually is, it can yep. it's it's a little, bit, a little bit unnerving. It makes me a little bit worried about going to Disneyland. Um, That's right, it ought to. <laughs> yeah, there's some stuff on there. They've they've definitely done their uh, their research because like they've got um, oh, I can't remember what it, it's not called the classics. It's like a really uh, catchy phrase for basically movies around our childhood sort of age so like movies from the yeah. 90s so nice. to speak and you're like going oh look at that one and you're there, <laughs> and there with the wife going oh that's a banger that's a banger we have to get that one in the book um yeah yeah like i think it's so important what fascinates me about what you just said is is how much faith actually can play a part in the day-to-day -day of a lot of people and i mean i notice it particularly more in america and, and some people i've interviewed from from europe but mostly uh, in America, how much sort of – I'm going to use faith because actually there's been other people that don't pretend to be Christians but follow a faith that has a form of structure and things. Yeah. And it's just it – just, it is such an interesting part of society uh, where I feel that those that seem to be most faithful seem to – happy is the wrong – content. They almost have a, a contentness. Um, about their life and seem to seem to 
get on with things with a quietness. I don't know if that's something that you would would agree with, but certainly like yeah. my grandparents uh, on my on my father's side were were devout Christians, and you know, like to the point where my dad, I think he did three or four Sunday schools on a Sunday. I didn't realize you could get that many in, but um, yeah. like they they would do morning, midday, evening. Um, what do they call it? Even song, yeah. and like their life revolved around the church, and they were the happiest, most content people that I know. And I'm not saying that you can't be happy and content without faith, but it's just an interesting um, observation. Like I'm sure there are people that, that have a, a faith or a dominion that they follow devoutly and are miserable. But like it's just it's just interesting how many people yeah. like yourself hold that accountable for getting them through things yeah like what's, what's your thoughts on it so every, as you're sitting there talking i'm just loving it because i'm there's so many things going through my head but ultimately with being a christian we're loved by a, a fatherly god a trinitarian god a loving god a god of love we say god is love and so now i'm human and I know God made all of us. He created this world and he made us for love. And what is what why does that matter in what we're talking about? It matters because when I realized that I was loved with an unconditional love from the people around me, and by unconditional I mean accepted my ostomy, accepted all of, you know my bad attitude, my my serious temper, all the thing, the manipulations and things is growing up, just dealing with what I dealt with and being who I was. And they loved me anyway. And they're still in my life today. And they accept me as I am. They love me as I am. And then I realized that I was loved by a loving God that created all of us. That same God loves me, even though I haven't made the right decisions. There, do you realize how much purpose that gives us when you go, most of our anxiety comes from this, and it's not Catholic guilt. It is, it is the, it is good. It is good, holy guilt, because we should feel a disposition inside for the things that we've done that have ruined relationships and hurt others. That's so normal and so human. And when we realize we have a God that loves us, even though we've screwed up, and we know that, like in marriage, our spouses screw up. We screw up in those relationships as a father, and I want and expect them to forgive me. And so when I realize the dynamic in the world, that what makes things tick and what works and how we all operate, we operate in love. And most people can thrive through that. And when you don't have a fear of screwing up and people leaving you or losing their love for you, that allows you to just stomp through life with a little bit more ease. That doesn't mean life's easy for us. It doesn't mean man, I just got it going on. I got hard ass days like everybody else. I have, I have anxiety. I get depressed, but I'm able to come out of that. I'm able to have a certain sight and paradigm of looking at life, the way that I understand the world that allows me to be able to overcome those moments and see that there's more to it. And for so long, I lacked what was just right there for me to go grab and live by because I just wanted to have it all. But at the end of the day, dude, we're sick and we have sick bodies. But what is the other thing that we all know? We know we have a soul. We know we have a, a, an eternal soul. 
there's something visible about us and there's something invisible about us. And we know this. Think of a handshake. Think of the ring on my finger and understanding that there's something eternal that this broken body I have isn't doesn't define me. That makes struggling through my suffering so much better and so much easier. And so I would just say your observation is solid that it is not surprising that people who feel loved have more peace of mind. And we have a loving God in the Christian faith. And in, it is a father God. And I want to be a good dad. And in thinking about that, it just makes it makes my suffering have a purpose. It makes me seek something bigger than success at work, making a certain income, getting so many followers, whatever it may be. None of that matters when everything's in perspective and I'm focusing and waking up every day to love my family as best I can. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think in a, in a, in a sort of very simplistic way, it allows you to not get caught up in the bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. One of the things you mentioned. And even when you do, in, even when you yeah. do, it allows you to have a perspective in it, right? To be able to yeah. hopefully get unstuck quickly. Yeah, and I think it's 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 very true. Like it's something that you notice more in in the world, and particularly now, like as in particular Christian Christianity and and other such religions, organized religion is not as in maybe I don't know. I can't really speak for America because I obviously don't live in America, but within Europe, certainly, organized religion is not the the hallmark that it used to be. Uh, you yeah. know, like particularly when you've got things like the Catholic Church with its continual tribunals over right. priests doing certain things um, right. and all, all that kind of stuff, you know, when you've got Islam and the stuff that is happening under the guise of Islam by certain groups and things like that. Right. They all detract, yep. and, you know, the, the, the least favorable face of those religions is what is mainstream media. Uh, and being portrayed in the mainstream media. So it's understandable that it kind of loses its way. But there's also a, a drive of the power of the individual currently uh, that I feel is kind of uh, more popularist, um, yeah. where, you know, there there's less discussion about our responsibilities within a society and, and where we maybe should fit within the society. And actually, society should be more fitting to us and, and society be more accepting. And it's almost like it's gone into a full circle uh, where appreciation, appreciation of the individual is, should never be unhelpful. Um, and I think, you know, whenever you, you think about religion, it kind of does embrace you as an individual if you allow it to. But what's interesting is that the current sort of climate, it's almost forcing an individual to a point up to the hell with everybody else. And that's not helpful. It's not helpful when, whenever what you're doing, because it's what you want to do, comes into conflict with another person because they can't see it your way, they're wrong. And that's just, you know, that that's never going to reach an amicable end. Yeah, and it's interesting that that kind of turmoil seems to lead most of the social media debates and things like that that surround it. And you can see it, and you can see that that how how do people expect to kind of have meaningful discussion, meaningful discourse 
um, and be happy about things whenever, if you don't agree yeah. with me, then you're against me. And it's yeah. sort of like, ooh, I don't know. I keep diverting off point as well. I'm always, I'm always, I'm, you know, that you, you're just, you're proposing like the either or argument and I'm always a both and it's, it's a both and that you always have to be aware. Yes. Of the individual, but each and everything that we all do, I mean, we live in communion with each other in community, whether we like it or not, you have to be a total recluse to decide to live on your own, especially in most areas of this world anymore, but it's possible. But we're communal people. We can't survive without each other. We can, but we survive a lot better together. And so there's the both and. My decisions affect other people in any way of life. Whether I choose to watch a TV show or read tonight affects what information is in my head and moving around that's going to either spur some sort of creative idea or not, or whether I'm just going to veg out. Who and how that affects the world, the choice that we make. And when you get into individual decisions like that, it can be a little redundant because we make so many in a given day. But every decision we make affects the world we live in and the people in it. And so there's got to be this both and to it, right? So we, we've got to be able to understand, yes, individually, like having a personal relationship in regards to our relationship with God, but also that relationship is affected by our relationship with those around me and the way that I love my loved ones. And so it's both, it's here, but it's also here. And they reflect each other. They should not be any different. They, sh they should be mirrors and images of each other. Yeah, it's so right. It's so right. And I, I think, yeah, allowing yourself to have that perspective and be open to that discussion is so much more important than being, I think, well, it's more important than being right. Yeah, on honesty. That's right. Um, That's right. So, how does your ostomy impact your life now? Is it is it uh, an easy thing for you to manage? Have you learned any tricks or tips along the way with managing your ostomy? I am way better now than I was when I started. It was really hard when I started, um, but it was all mechanical. I thought I got it, and I did, and it was easy for a long time. But I've had an ostomy for sixteen years now, and it's that having a bandage, having an adhesive and chemicals and all kinds of things on your skin for a, that long of a period of time, you end up getting different problems. So to answer your question, yes, it's easier, but it also has its own little issue. I have my own little issues like skin infections and things like that, where I'll have to deal with this problem or that problem. I'm very fortunate in the fact that I get to, I have a job that allows me to come home when I need to. I have a setup at my house that allows me to have, uh, and at my office, that allows me to have privacy no matter what. I'm not around. I don't have to be around a lot of people if I don't need to. And a lot of people can't do that. So I'm pretty fortunate. But I get, you know, two, three wear time out of my appliance. And sometimes, you know, there's leaks. I have a pool. I swim every day. So it doesn't stop me from swimming. I uh, if I want to swim laps or throw my kids around, I have to throw on a, uh, one of those Under Armour shirts that's skin tight and stretchy just to hold everything in place. But other than that, I can do anything and everything. Right after when I was younger, I mean, I was jumping off of 40, 50-foot cliffs at the lake with my ostomy and just hold, without a swim shirt, just holding my hand over my stomach when I hit the water. I mean, flipping, 
all kinds of stuff. And I've traveled, I not since COVID, but I travel all over the place. I do for work. It doesn't stop me from doing that. The hardest part for me anymore is really the heat of the summer and dealing with the infections that I get. And, you know, even I say two to three days is really good. Some people get their wear time for up to like five days, six days, seven days in some cases. But with swimming in the heat of the summer, I'm happy to just be able to go outside, swim, get two days out of it, have it be deal, you know, livable. But I, I went through a period of two years, Johnny, where I was changing my appliance every day, every single day. The whole I think thing. that's what I did whenever I whenever I had mine. I would change mine in the morning, and then and then occasionally sometimes I'd change it before I would go to bed. But obviously, I had a, for a significantly shorter period than than what you or, or or Jack and the likes have had it for. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been pretty pretty interesting being able to see myself grow, but also how much I've stayed the same. I still kind of have my own little habits. And like I said, everybody's winging it. So I'm just building the most comfortable world in my world that I can. And as long as I can do that and keep some sort of a peace of mind, I mean, I have stuff that I take with me when I go on a trip for a day or I'm going out in the country for a little while. I don't go anywhere unless I have it mapped out. That hasn't changed. It's just natural for me, you know, uh, but we all kind of have our little routines that we go through and i'd say creating habits is huge and changing the ostomy in public has been one of the hardest things for me just because there's nowhere but your lap to do it and i'm working on that so coming to a theater near you just wait because i I've, I've invented an awesome appliance that will be able to help people with ostomies and in wheelchairs and in bathrooms and be able to change their appliance in their car in a, on your sofa, if you're if you're on home medical care, if you're on home health care, um, so hopefully it'll help that situation a lot easier. But since I've developed that, it's changed the way I travel. It's changed the way my peace of mind going to different places and spending time away from my house, and that's been huge. But having the ostomy itself has introduced me to people who love in a way that I wouldn't have learned how to do it had it not been for dealing with this life. And most of our WOCNs, which is what we call our ostomy nurses here in the States, most of them have uh, some sort of struggle. They, you don't just choose to love us. You don't, aren't just all of a sudden wake up one day and are attracted to people with ostomies and working and cleaning up crap. And you just have a vocation for it. That doesn't happen. Most of these women and men are, are incredibly loving people and have chosen that vocation and that direction of nursing for some reason. Maybe they've had some brokenness in their life. Maybe they've got a family member with the issue. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And the answer is yes. They're all dealing with something. And they're beautiful people that I would have never met otherwise. And this is all over. So ostomy nurses from Australia I ask every one of them, you got to tell me why you do this. I ask them, I say, tell me, you got to give me something because I wouldn't do it. Why do you do this? And when you get to know them, you learn something in their life led them to love in an extraordinary way. And that is why they choose to do what they do. I mean, yeah, and that's a pretty powerful statement. And I think that's so true of 
just a healthcare profession, but in particular, yeah, stoma nurses, they do uh, spend a lot of time just just applying that extra level of care, which is so important. Um, I heard rumor that there's other pieces you're working on as well. Um, but like the, the piece that you've invented, like things like that are so important because I think one of the big impact factors um, for the community, particularly when they faced ostomy surgery, is that loss of independence almost or feeling that they're dependent on a certain strict criteria of events and the fear of not having access to a bathroom, the fear of being judged for yeah. being disabled but not visibly. So all of those things, and if something that, uh, can be created to make that life a little bit easier, make doing a bag change a little bit more comfortable or less cumbersome. Such an yeah. important thing to do. So, so that's amazing that you're focusing some of your time on that. But I, I heard rumor you're also in the process of creating a magazine that allows people to have more insight to what life is like having an Austin. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, I have learned that. Anytime I go looking for Crohn's, colitis, ostomy information, it's all good. The social media side isn't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the medical side, which is all good too. It's just, it's not the way I like to receive information. Um, I, we get, we're given so much medical data that you almost don't know what to do with it all. And the way that I talk about all this stuff isn't necessarily, I don't use the right language when it comes to um, you know, maybe the, the appliances and each part and all that stuff. And I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not schooled medically, but the way that we communicate with each other is not in a legal or medical language. It is in human language. And especially now and with social media, we communicate with videos and pictures and blips, quick stories um, and so I wanted to, I, because it took me so long to find the online community and so many people that I talk to and meet and hear from don't have those communities in their small towns. They don't have them in wherever they're from, or they don't get on social media because there are so many older people that have these problems and are getting ostomies. I wanted to be able to take that life and put it in print so that we had a way to kind of bring that world and that network of people right to them. And I wanted it to be in a language that was from the people, from us, from ostomates, from people who are sick with IBD, Crohn's, colitis, whatever it may be, and be able to see all those out there that are struggling just like you and are stomping through it and are having hard days and being able to see and take on and embody other people's stories and other people's virtues is what gets me through my hardest days, which is why I decided to even do this. And I wanted, I wanted everybody in the world to be able to tap in to that community and do it quickly. So now you can flip through, you can read a story of someone's life, like, like say it's yours and, and where you're at and your journey with pictures of you and your family and how you're stomping through it and have it be colorful, but then also having advertisements in there from all the inventions that are ostomy inventions that are out there, not just your typical big time companies that have all the money to buy ads in the one magazine that we have. I wanted us to be able to solve each other's problems as a community. Look how fast we're coming up with COVID solutions because we're coming together as a community. Why can't we do the same thing with what we're dealing with 
put it right in front of all of us, speak on it in a way that's real and not superficial and come up with real solutions. And I think networking us together and combining the knowledge across the world of inventions and different things that allow us to make life easier with ostomies, that's my goal. And if I can break into a new community so that somebody's world they're, they're no longer considering suicide. They're no longer considering divorce. They're no longer considering all the things that could be going on because they've been able to adapt and have a livable life with their ostomy. And that's the only reason that I wanted to start doing the magazine. But now that I've been receiving all this feedback on it, it's going to be so powerful for myself and my family to see all the other people who are dealing with this and their families, because this is, I think it's going to be something that's powerful for all of us involved, but also our family members and to be able to pass that message on to each other without ha us having to go and talk about each other's shit. Right. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, I love it. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing thing to, to meet someone who's doing so much, um, new things i would say for the community in terms of like it being like using your initiative and using your own perspective just to help create a little bit of a better world for everyone um which takes me on to my sort of next line of questions sort of looking at like your you've written a book the uh, yeah. memoirs of a bag man and yeah. uh let's talk about that so how did you how did you end up discovering writing or that you could write so I had never written anything. All that I did, Johnny, was I gave up streaming and TV for Lent. And I was sitting there on Ash Wednesday, staring at my black television. And my wife was sitting in her chair, reading or doing whatever she was doing. And I just had my laptop in front of me and I started writing what I thought was going to be a blog. And I sent it to a couple of friends that had blogs and wanted their feedback and they told me to send it to somebody else. And then they told me to send it to somebody else. And it eventually got, I started getting really good feedback from people. And I just kept writing my story throughout Lent. And one thing led to another man and I ended up just having my story done. I wrote it. I needed to triple the content, which I did for a publisher. I didn't like where it was going. I whittled it down. And I decided, you know what? I just want people, family members and people dealing with this stuff to get in and get out. We all have our own life that we're living. We all have our own problems and I don't want to glorify my suffering, but I want you to get into my world, understand how my head works, where I'm at and how I try and battle day to day getting through that and then get on with your life. And so I've, I've edited that all the way down to what it is now. And I think it's a quick little two hour read with a glass or three of wine and you'll feel really good about your life. And I think you'll feel really hopeful about the life of your loved ones after you sit and read through and understand how God has used such darkness in regards to my pain and suffering and what I've dealt with and done great things with it. And I try and deliver that message really quickly. So I discovered writing on accident on Lent 2019. I think that's some of the way some of the best things are done is is by accident. Um, yeah. So, like, what what would your advice be then? So now you're a published author, should we say? Yeah. Um, what would your advice be to someone about writing a book? Like, how did you go about it? 
Like, what is it? Is there a specific skill set you've learned from your experience? Would you do it again? I learned. I never wanted to write a book because I always thought people who wrote about themselves were just really vain, which I am. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to embody that. And I learned that I actually like to hear myself, and I like myself more than I thought because I wanted to tell my stories. And when people read that and give you feedback and tell you they don't need to hear that, they, that's you're kind of going on. I learned where I was weak and where I'm actually really good at telling a story. And that, that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned was being able to kind of step back and take feedback and understand that, man, I, I like myself more than I thought. And I think I'm a really good writer, but when I'm trying to write a story for people, I got to ADHD doesn't work for a book, right? So you got to stay on task and you got to be able to, organize something but i realized that i need a lot of help and i had a lot of help um and what, where did that help come from was that just from friends and family did you have uh professional help did someone come in that you knew so the way the way basically my whole life works is by who you know not what you know and everybody every problem we have the person with the solution is one phone call away. I heard that when I was younger. And if you could find that one person, your problem will be solved, whatever it is. And when it came to editing, I we have a really good relationship. My family's been in this city for a very long time. We know tons of people here. We have a giant family. And so I knew a couple of editors. I reached out to them. I know a couple of, I know several published authors, but I know some award-winning authors, children's authors, uh, fiction writers. And so I got feedback from them. I also had relationships with people that worked at the Atlantic, that worked at uh, a number of other publications that I was able to directly reach out to, to have them bend their ear to my story. And um, so that, my gosh, that's awesome to be doing that. You're not perhaps descended from an Irish family, are you? I don't know because I haven't gone on to uh, what's it called .com, but I, I think we have a little bit of Irish in us, but I do not know. I don't know. We're usually big families. I know mine is. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have eight. I have seven brothers and sisters. There's eight kids and there's like I've got four children and all together we've got like 27 nieces and nephews. So there's a bunch of us. So you've also got a, as well as being an author, as well as being a father yeah. of, is it four kids? Did four, you say? yeah. Four, four yeah. kids. You also have a podcast as well as being yeah. an accountant. Um, so like, how did you get into podcasting? Did the podcast come before book or was it the other way around? It was the other way around. So the book was the start of it. The podcast came in the middle of the night. It was like 3 a.m. And I was trying to figure out how in the world I was going to start getting the word out about my book and spreading the message I wanted to spread about telling stories. And I woke up at 3 a.m. and I thought, I want to do a podcast. I should do a podcast. So I sent out 10 emails to 10 local people that, to see if they wanted to be on my podcast. And I got eight responses by 8 a.m. And the rest is history, man. I started, I didn't have a microphone. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just know I had a buddy who was an engineer that could help me set it up, and I made a phone call. We made a few uh, stops at some local places in town, like Best Buy, to get some mics and some other 
things and a computer and we just set it up and got to work. And now, and I actually, I have a, I have a room in my house that was storage for my kids' toys. That is my studio, which is where I'm at. And so I just come in here and get to do my podcasts here and it works out good. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible uh, a journey. And it's, it's so cool, I think, doing these kinds of things and that the accessibility that we have these days to be able to do it. Like, you think back 15 years ago, even, like the thought of creating essentially a radio station in your home. Yeah. You know, it, right. it was such an alien concept to be able yeah. to now just sit down, plug in a microphone, and communicate a message to the world. What better time to be alive? Right, um, exactly right. So, what what have you learned then? What what as a as a now a seasoned podcaster, should we say? Like, yeah. what what sort of things have you learned from podcasting um, that might help people that would be interested in starting podcasting? So, you can want to do and spend a bunch of money to get the best equipment, and you don't necessarily need it. I would tell you that. I would tell you that. The only thing that makes all of us unique is ourself. And there's so many podcasts out there that in order to be unique, be uniquely you. And that's the only thing that's going to attract others because there's so much content to choose from. Um, we are all uniquely beautiful. And in the podcast world, tapping into that is the one thing that listeners want is they want authenticity. There's so much BS out there um that it's really easy to think i need to wake up and have something to talk about i need to wake up and have a topic we're doing we're working on this week and that week and man i wake up every day probably the same way you did i have a handful of outline questions in regards to the conversation i want to have but i just want to get to know the person and a little bit about their journey and whatever questions come up we'll work on it and that works for me some people have to plan it out but i would say don't worry so much about getting the best uh, equipment because the better your equipment and the crappier the insulation the louder the background noise you're going to have and vice versa so just get what works try and create some silence in your world these earbuds i think it would be amazing if apple and some of these places actually put studly lapel mic type powerful mics in these earbuds and things so that since they're so common and we're in a zoom world that now in our earbuds we're able to get really good crisp sound and things that block out other stuff but i would just not worry about it i'd get something that's working if you're spending over a hundred dollars on your mic and you're just starting out that's too much money ha! i mean it's such an easy thing to do as well you're right when you're just starting out into the the world of video uh, uh vod vodcast yeah and, and podcast it, it's you know if you want to spend money the stuff is there to spend money on it's so true um but there's so many things now that are inexpensive in comparison that works yeah. so well like um the biggest expense really i've bought out is, is this is this microphone yeah and it's you know it's a road microphone but it's it's just a usb microphone it's sort of probably still arguably lower end of the market in comparison to what you can get from for on the audio side of things but it works uh -huh. so well it's, it's all i need really um i've been sat there um and on about what camera to get do i go canon do i go sony um <laughs> yeah. but actually 
my Samsung mobile is amazing. It shoots 4K. Yeah. It, it shoots up to 120 frames a second. And anytime I've done like anything sort of arty farty on on my YouTube channel, people have sort yeah. of commented like, "What camera are you using?" When I tell them it's it's a phone, they're yeah. amazed <laughs> that a phone's producing this kind of. St- and a little little bit of that is down to you as as a creator. Um, yeah. you know, and what sort of background skill set you might have coming into the game. But it's like allow yourself to make mistakes. Yeah. I think I think that's that's true just across life. Just allow yourself to make mistakes. I am the biggest perfectionist, the biggest critic in my life, to the point where sometimes I, I can be an absolute see you next Tuesday to myself. And yeah. it's it's a it's a work in progress to try and not be that that critical of myself, but yeah, when it comes down to it, it's you. It's you who's going to be the handbrake, and it's you that's going to be your biggest critic. So it's almost just get over getting over yourself is the biggest hurdle, I think, when you're coming into a creative space like podcasting or vodcasting or just being creative around how you raise awareness or sell a message about anything be it ibd community stuff or anything like that it's and i think the other one um i don't know if you've heard of um goodness i have to bring him up now on my, on my instagram hold page up. hold up hold up let's get him in A guy called Ismail, but he's got a uh, an actual. That's it. So Ismail's a good friend of mine in Canada, but his blog or his page is called Razi Blog. Okay, and yeah, I think so. One of the things um, I um, chatted to him about was to focus less on likes, shares, follows, and all that kind of stuff. Just just hone in on doing it for you, and that's what he's done with sort of Razi Blog. Is he he doesn't really care who sees it, who comments on it, who does whatever, as long as he's sharing a message, as long as he's, like you said, authentic to himself and is just following through. So whenever it's like, you know, obviously comments that are useful um, and, and further the conversation around what it's meant to be talking about, he engages and, you know, obviously we want shares and likes because it means that the message is getting out there, but ultimately it's just realizing that it only needs to touch one person. Yeah. And if that, I'd rather, uh, and one of the things that we'd agreed on was sort of like, if you affect one person positively, it's better than reaching 10,000 and not having an impact whatsoever. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I try to focus on because let's be honest, talking about IBD, talking about Austinese and talking about, shit for one of a better word as my aunt would call it um it's not an overly exciting topic for the masses it's a very niche sort of area to be in so it's it's difficult to get known so it's one of the things to be aware of if you're wanting to be an activist within the ibd community it's not you're not going to be hitting triple figures overnight it that's year after year just continuing the message, learning, developing. And you'll have a lot of people that are grossed out by what it is you're talking about. And you've got to learn that that is 
a normal disposition of people. It is gross stuff. And you, you do, I mean, I get comments, women get it all the time. Some of these guys, I'm not one of the people that posts a bunch of pictures of my stoma and things. Just, it's just not me, but these guys get all kinds of grief from people. It's not like you're just making friends and building friends and building that network. There are negatives to it. And so you also kind of got to be a little bit aware and okay. And, and, and that's, and I say this just so that, you know, it's not like condemning it. It's, it's to know it. Like if, if I was telling my kids and they were going to go do this, I'd say, you got to be aware that this is part of it. And that's just the reality. And I have to look at my ostomy that way that, you know, if I actually had a problem in a plane, 98% of those people would be absolutely flipping gross the hell out. If I had a blowout on a plane, cause I fell asleep. That yeah. I got to be okay with that. I can't be mad that they're mad that this happened to me. Uh, and so you just kind of have to have an awareness. But yeah, dude, I agree. Um, I think that's one of the interesting points as well is is I, I kind of to feel sorry is the wrong word. I don't. It's, it's empathy, understanding. Yeah. Whenever someone yeah. has a uh, negative reaction to something, to somebody trying to do something positive. And you mentioned the girls. Like I know some some of the girls I am friends with through this community uh, that are prevalent on social media. And some of the messages I'm like, going, these are beautiful women. And like yeah. uh, there's a girl yeah. Zoe Wright Fitness, and she gets hounded um, yeah. for having a bit of muscle and yeah. and taking care of her appearance in in the sort of fitness genre of the world. Yeah. And like she gets like horrendous messages about and like how she doesn't have body dysmorphia yeah. uh from or some form of i don't know side effect to receiving the, the number of crap that she receives I, I don't know she's a she's an exceptionally strong woman mentally yeah obviously um but i'm like more power to them because again it's just raising awareness like people i know girls that get slammed uh for being in their bikini because they're like, oh, you're just looking for sympathy with your ostomy bag. And they're not. They're trying to raise. And what I don't get as well is like when you think about it, these people are consuming this content to leave. Neg- like they're choosing to consume the content and leave a negative comment. And you're like, yeah, what sort of person chooses to look at stuff that they don't like to be a dick about it? Yeah. Like what world are they living in? How fucked right. up are they? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it's such a such a weird paradoxical sort of so it's almost like you almost do need to feel sorry for them because like if they're consuming what you're creating and then telling you it's shit like how shit must their life be yeah we live we live in a world that where i mean it, it is it's a very pornographic world and you see it everywhere you see it in media you see it everywhere it's probably more prevalent to me because i got three daughters but in regards to sexuality, people are to be used. That is the message that the world sends out. Look at social media, watch TV. People are to be used. Your physical appearance is for my pleasure and my use. And if you can't satisfy that, you are of no use to me. And there's no looking at the human person. There's no search for something deeper. You look and you judge. I mean, I can think, I mean, pornography, what it did to me from when I was a kid made me not be able to control my eyes where I can, I I learned to look for the sexual parts of a woman 
just because there's this hunger inside, right? And until you learn to control that, until you get rid of that, you're always looking to use somebody on both sides. And when you're dealing with something, like I said, that is for the most part taboo, like it or not, people don't like it. It is gross. When no longer useful to somebody and they're grossed out. Nothing gets rid of a hard on like somebody crapping on you, right? Change the subject. And what I mean that seriously, because people are on social media are going to say this and they're going to say that stuff. And you've got to have an understanding that, you know what, on one hand, yeah, I do want a voice about this. But at the same time, most of the world looks through these eyes at the world. And unless you are under, you understand that that's out there, it's a really hard thing. Can you hear me? Did my deal yeah, go can out? Yeah, you hear me? Okay. No, it's just a, it's a really, um, it's a really hard thing to begin to do or embrace. So yeah, sorry about that. I went on a tangent. No, I agree. Like one of the weirdest uh, paradoxical situations for me was whenever I had my daughter and my opinion on the world changed exponentially, particularly yeah, surrounding that like, works. particularly around like music videos and stuff like that. All of a sudden, music videos just became just be, became soft porn. I was like, yeah. that. How is this a role? How is like I looked at um. There's a group called Little Mix. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, and you know, I'm sure they are lovely girls, but they're they're renowned for for trying to create a positive body image. But every single one of their music videos, they're just in their underwear. And I get like maybe there's a concept that we're comfortable in our bodies, so we'll be in our underwear. But you're in your underwear dancing like a stripper for the world to see. And that's that's normal. That's that's it's, normal. It's the going. sexualizing of the human body, which should have its place. And yes, we're attractive. God made us beautiful. He made us attractive beings. But there's so much more to it. I, I get a kick out of like the feminist movement that wants us to respect women, but then dresses so scantily clad. And I'm like, how? Let's let's start eye to eye here. I mean, I can't even look at you in the in the face because of we've got to have some sort of an understanding of of the human body and how men and women are made and created and to judge someone based on this sexualized reality it, it's we just we could just tend to do that and that's what happens on social media no matter where you are it's going on is the body is just being over sexualized and it's very difficult to go deeper first to go looking to care and love somebody without sexualizing the situation and it just gets younger and younger that's uh, you tend toward that that's just what the norm has been that's why we have the problems in the world we have and i tell you what man for us to be able to kind of come together and go oh we've got a man up our community i see it with these women that we're talking about that's the problem that's being revealed is that everything is so sexualized and there's so many strong judgments right out the gate about trying to get to know human beings at a very human level. It's very surfacey. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say, what? so from your podcast, what do you hope people will take from it? I had to switch ear pods. Hang on. Tell me if it comes on. Can you hear me? Got you. Okay, good. Um, I hope people, I hope people just listen and they get to hear somebody's story, our conversation, just like this, and be able to just team up with another person stomping around this earth 
that's living with what you're living with. I want family members to be able to go, okay, I understand why my son is such a recluse. I understand why he never wants to talk about this stuff because it's something hard to talk about. I want people to learn from this, how dark of a world people can be living in, but also be know that sharing our stories is what frees us. We can't, we're not going to find a solution for our health problems. We're still students where they're still trying to find cures for our issues. But what we can do is we can come together and suffer together. And that gives us a purpose doing it together. It's so much easier than doing it alone. And that's the only thing I wanted with my ostomy podcast was to people to listen and tune into the, the ostomy guy podcast and go, my goodness, this, this guy talks about this thing like it's any old normal conversation about anything. And they can begin to feed off of that energy, which it's taken me, you know, 14, 16 years to get to where I am. And I still struggle. But to know that I struggle too, and I'm 16 years down the road, makes their crappy day be put in perspective as well. So they can go, oh, okay, even if he's still struggling, he's been doing it for six. No kidding. I'm, you can be a little patient with yourself, right? Knowing that man, I'm new to this and he's still struggling with the same thing. Okay, I have bad days. I can get depressed, but man up and keep stomping through tomorrow. And hopefully listening to people's voices, tons of different people's backgrounds, doing all kinds of different things, you can go, you know what, my life is possible too. And we have fewer situations like that tragedy of that young man that chose to take his own life rather than live with an ostomy for a second time. Yeah, no, so true. So true. Um, well, that brings me nicely to the part of the show that I call the three truths. And uh, so basically, it's your last day on earth, many years from now, hopefully, and all the things you've ever created, so your podcast, the book, um, your magazines and such, they're somehow lost to the world. So what three truths or life lessons would you want the, the, to leave the world to know? Number one, ooh, I got to move it over here. Number one, the most important thing in life is knowing that you are created by a loving God and that this life is not the end of life. God loves you just like he loves me and my family, and we were chosen for greatness. And knowing that God loves me knows that that end isn't an end, it's a beginning. Second, I would tell you, and this is the one thing I learned when I was in the hospital for a three-month stint dealing with my infections after my ostomy surgery and everything, and that's that at the end of life, the only thing that matters, you're right, this book, my podcast, and any invention, none of that matters. What matters is the relationships that I have and how much I loved. And waking up every day, even though you feel like shit, you can still choose to love in your own little way. And no one can do it like you because no one has your life or your world or your family members. And that's who you're called to love. And third, I don't even have a third. I'd say the third thing would be that I want left behind or remembered about me is that I never quit. I wanted to quit so many times. I hope that people can see that we all hit that road where we want to quit and say no. And even as dark and as gross and as bloody sometimes as it can get when we're ready to just give up, don't. And those three things that I'm not a quitter, ending it are the 
are, are a legacy that I'd be happy with living and a legacy that I hope my kids can follow and it'll lead them to raise good families. And yeah, that's it, man. I think that's a beautiful um, way to go through it, you know, um, to love, be it through God or to be it through just whatever way you choose to believe, um, to build your relationships and, and trust in your relationships and never never quit. I mean, that's, I think that's something everyone can take something from for sure. Um, I'd just like to take a minute to appreciate to appreciate you, Austin, as well. So thank you for so much for coming on to the show, um, for using your initiative and ingenuity to create for the benefit of the community. I mean, it's such an important thing um, to do, even if it wasn't your own intuition and stuff being used. Right. So it's amazing that you're able to be in a position to do so much for the community, for creating that podcast as well and just sharing that story sharing the stories of others again just reducing the stigma and helping people feel less alone is such an important thing for us and i applaud you for that so thank you so much hey thanks for having me on i really appreciate it. this was cool i always love the opportunity of getting on and visiting with another person out there who's stomping through life like i am and i appreciate your podcast i've been listening ever since we started talking i i have a busy life as you know i mean it's just crazy. So as much as I can, I've, I've gotten through three of them, but I really appreciate those conversations. It gives me really good ideas for what I'm doing and things I may want to change and adjust and just little, you know, I, I'm my own worst enemy like you. And it's really good to kind of see other people and how they do it and what works. And I appreciate that very much. It's been really cool. I also think it's really cool that uh, you're over there on the other side of the world running a podcast yourself and just kind of having similar conversations and making it happen, enjoying a glass of whiskey. That's awesome. I love it. I wish, I wish it was five o'clock and I didn't have to go make two work phone calls. I'd drink with you, brother. <laughs> Me, it's been, it's been, it has been awesome. It's been, it's been uh, brilliant. And to have a little tip along the way has just made it that little bit more pleasurable. And just thank everyone for joining in and listening. If you're listening to later today, thank you for joining us. Uh, don't forget to like the video if you're seeing it on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, give us a little heart and follow us or subscribe to the channel. And we'll catch you in the next episode.